0: Distanced, a podcast about people around the world who are dealing with life in quarantine during the age of the coronavirus. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm recording from my home in San Mateo, California. Welcome to Distanced. Uh, So there's been a brief hiatus, and I wish I could say I had a good excuse, but Honestly, it's, it's one of those things where I'm sure many of you are experiencing this during quarantine, your, you know, your time is there, your energy is just not there though. And, um, I had a couple episodes that I recorded, but I'm just now releasing over the next couple of weeks. So excited to do that. We've been to a few cities already, and I want to take us back further East to Miami, Florida. And I, uh, I interviewed a very close college friend of mine, Rohan Rungaraj. Uh, Rohan has been in the financial services industry for a while. Uh, he started his own hedge fund um, and he previously worked for Cascade Investments, which was uh, an investment fund that managed a significant portion of uh, Bill Gates' portfolio, if I am not mistaken. You will have to fact check that. Uh, but. But Rohan is a very, very, very smart guy. And, um, you know, I asked him a bunch about what's going on in Miami, but I also want to just know what's going on in the market uh, right now. And there is this increasing disconnectedness between what we perceive to be the regular economy and the financial economy. So I wanted to dig into that. I hope for those of you who are following your portfolios closely, you, uh, you give this a listen and you may walk away with no conclusions, but. You will definitely walk away smarter for the episode. Enjoy. Hey Rohan, how's it going?
1: Doing well. How about yourself?
0: Uh yeah, I mean another another day here under the books. So I feel like I need to start doing one of those tally symbols or or something. I have no idea what day we're on at this point.
1: <laughs> Time has become a amorphous concept these days. I mean, I've told you before that, well, going into this whole thing that because of my company based in India, uh, we were preparing for an annual board meeting. So I was getting on calls that were starting at around 11 p.m. over here and lasting until 2, 3 in the morning. And then all of this started. and I canceled that trip, but I told you I'd gotten a Peloton at that same time. So now I start working out at like 11 p.m. Uh, on a lot of nights. And it's just sort of the most bizarre thing i'll be working and working out till like past midnight a lot of nights and sometimes just to get the check mark on my peloton workout calendar thing for the day i make sure to start a workout by 11 59 p.m and there's so many days that i've started 11 59 p.m but still managed to get in at 30 45 minutes or whatever but then like i'm up till 3 a.m so time is just kind of gone by the wayside here
0: for me, it's gotten a little bit more predictable in the sense that um, I'm actually going to bed earlier. Uh, and I think the experience is a bit different with, you know, two young kids. And at the moment, I'm not working a full time job. So um, I'm just tired from, you know, kind of dealing with them. I'm like, I just don't feel like doing anything. And so I go to bed early and I wake up a lot earlier.
1: So are you waking up before they wake up or do they wake you up?
0: No, I'm waking up way before they wake up. So I, I wake up at, you know, I'm like five thirty-six now, and that's yeah. two hours before, you know, a solid two hours before they wake up. And I'm able to read a bit. Um nice. so uh you know, we, we talk often and I've I've introduced you and all of that, but can you um tell us a bit about Miami right now? where you live like you know just kind of describe the environment and i have a bunch more questions about just how how florida is right now
1: so i'm in a downtown miami area called brickle which is an area that basically didn't exist for the most part a decade ago going into the financial crisis um the area was a lot of greenery and a few buildings right by the water And um, the the ensuing decade post-financial crisis, a bunch of high-rises have come up to where you've got just tons and tons of uh, high-rise condos, basically, that are are in this area. And so it's sort of like this non-touristy Miami area that you just have a a downtown type of scene with restaurants and bars and everything like that and grocery stores that you need, but it's not what you would consider Miami beach. When people think about going to visit Miami and and partying in Miami and stuff like that, that's, that's Miami beach side, which um, you have to take the bridge over from here to get to that strip area. And, and so that's a whole kind of different animal over there. So um, the, the thing that's the same here is that basically you know, it's probably 75% Latin American or Hispanic uh, ethnicity uh, in this area. So, um, yeah. But, and but so I'm basically on the edge. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So I, I, and I've been to that area before that paints a pretty good picture. I think that's a, that's an excellent description. Um, describe your experience just compared to media reports of how Cavalier Florida has been. I mean, you know every, everywhere you go is different and i i only ingest really california centric media but what you hear about you know florida and i you just perfectly you know mm-hmm. kind of describe that miami is not the same i mean proper miami that gets the reports is not the same but is it just is it completely dislocated from how california media is reporting florida
1: it's not i think people have kind of caught on now that the that- Things got shut down, but I think the things that really set everyone off in early March were uh, were a couple things. One was there were a bunch of spring breakers coming to Miami Beach, um, and some of that started to go viral. And then Miami Beach shut down uh, before a lot of the rest of Florida did, and so. But it was after that, as the rest of the nation had shut down, that you saw a lot of these beaches up northern further north in in florida like Clearwater, um and maybe i think it's like the redneck riviera the panhandle so like pensacola fort walton beach all, all that sort of stretch um over the panama city beach and all that um, those beaches were open and a lot of a lot of uh spring breakers and so on were going down there um and that, that's that's what that's where the the videos i think really started to go viral around the world of 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 everyone just getting angry at, at Florida just being so stupid about this. And the government the governor of Florida waited a long time to enforce any kind of statewide shutdown. But Miami Beach was fairly ahead of that. Miami downtown, you know, there there's no beach downtown. Um it's it's sort of I think if you imagine Chicago the way the water is, like seawall type of thing where the water's coming in and everything. it's like that. So there's no beach area or anything like that. And so um you haven't really had the same kind of craziness in downtown or anything like that. In fact, it's actually, you know, there, there were some videos going around of, um, these sort of balcony DJ parties going on. in yeah, downtown. I've seen those. That's I've that. definitely seen those. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's basically where I am. So I, I kind of look across at the SLS and one of the main DJ parties was a guy who was supposed to DJ this EDM festival called ultra that had gotten canceled and he had a setup. up there at SLS. And so they were posting videos from the balcony there and all the, all the buildings in the area had people on their balconies dancing stuff. So, so, uh, it's sort of that, which was kind of a feel good thing as opposed to, you know, the stupidity that's making everyone angry with more, the sort of Northern part of Florida. But what you know, is the,
0: the and, and I'm curious, like what is the narrative, like just digging into that? And, you know, I saw the spring break videos and stuff like that, but if you were to go around, a uh, Three people in your building, how would they describe the narrative in Florida? Like, hey, we started off bad. We're doing a great job, or like, what is the general? Just your sense of what the Floridian narrative is of uh, of coronavirus right now at this very moment?
1: Um, that they're kind of ready to be able to at least go outside and and do so. So, so the the fact that the parks opened uh, last week. Uh, ten days ago something like that 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 was a big step in the right direction but um, you know you still had the area where I am is fairly walkable with restaurants and stuff and a lot of them stayed open for for takeout purposes I will say the Chinese place across the street did close pretty much immediately unfortunately but um but I, th- I think I think it's it's you know people are <laughs> the the fact that you had people participating in these sort of balcony parties i think people are making the most of it um i think there was early on like in one of them for instance um so so david getta did one of those concerts right the the big global dj um, came and did one of them over at the w and there was a video that went with one guy inviting in like 20 people into his apartment for the big party and that guy got Socially shamed and outcast, so people, you know, because of that, and had to make an apology video and everything. So people are, are fairly, I think, here they're responsible about it. They don't want to be lumped in with sort of the tourists and everything like that. At the same time, you know, I, I think they're getting as uh, probably as restless on that front as, as most of the rest of the nation. But it's it's hard. Like it's it's still a it's it's the it's the time of year in Miami where it's not gotten too hot yet. And so you're normally used to being able to go outside and, and walk before it just gets oppressively hot and you can't do anything outside. So I think people are kind of lamenting missing out on that. Uh, to what, a decent extent. And
0: so, in, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I have a different perception. I just have this perception that Florida is enjoying and I, I, I feel like I, I've heard anecdotes and there was somebody here in California who was explaining to me, oh, you know, Florida, they... They didn't really. I mean, they didn't lock down until after us, and you know, all of a sudden, their approach is working. Like that. That's how the narrative has shifted slightly. I feel like I've heard that in the last couple of days. I mean, what are the numbers right now, uh, to your knowledge? I mean, just what you see in the media are they are they decent? Are they comparable to California? Like, I just do not follow Florida at
1: all. No, I don't. I don't think we can really. Uh, I don't think we really say that that they've actually controlled it here. Um, They've, they've. Uh, I think they were there. Was the governor was slower to to lock everything down, like we mentioned earlier, and so those northern beaches um, were the problem. But like here in Miami, I think they've done a decent job. But again, that's local government uh, doing it. And the, the problem with Miami, so as they've opened up, they've opened up beaches further north also, um, back up again. Now, if you open up Miami, it's not just that you're going to get people from the United States coming in um, just because it's this sort of party destination. You're going to start getting people from Brazil and Colombia and Mexico and, and, you know, the Caribbean countries. I and mean, a lot of international folks will be flying in. Um, and so from that standpoint, it's been more important to, to lock it down here. So, so it is, I think there's got to be a split between Miami and the rest of Florida um, and how you view that yeah and um you know i i uh, I would say that I think give it a a couple more weeks to see how it goes you know you've also had Georgia opening up when people think it's a little bit too early for them to have done it um and you know and, and it's not a problem to open up it's just you have to have the testing and I'm not really sure that we do
0: yeah well, we had uh you know the big story in California was Elon musk opening um the Tesla factory, then tweeting out, Hey, you're going to arrest anyone, arrest me for defying this Alameda County I saw, order.
1: I saw that today. Yeah. So has there been any further development on there? Have they, have they gone and enforced anything or just kind of letting him do it?
0: I haven't seen anything. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get some sort of notification when it happens. I've been following Twitter too much, but speaking of Twitter <laughs> and Tesla and all this stuff, I mean, um, I, you know, as I, as I said in the introduction, I mean, you've been in some form of the investing business call it for the past, you know, 20 years. I can't believe it's been 20 years, but it has been that long. Um, You know, can you just describe um, what the heck is going on right now? Right. And so I I think, and to distill that down into one question, I have several more. It seems like unemployment is really high and um, yet stock market is continuing to thrive what what is the dislocation between those two and can you explain the difference between the financial economy and just the labor economy
1: it's it's kind of gotten embarrassingly bad in terms of that disconnect um if, if, if you're someone in the financial markets you're privileged enough to have a salaried position in the financial market that For some four weeks in a row in like late March to April, every Thursday when the initial unemployment claims come out, there would be these numbers of like six million applied for new unemployment claims and the market would be up like five percent. Um, and it was just sort of this bizarre scenario of, well, we expected seven million, (laughs) six million and the market's up. And so it's, it's kind of this explanation that the market's looking through it. But really, I mean, the top 10 percent, of income earners own some 85% of the market, right? Top 1% owns 40% of the market. Um, And you look at this sort of 20 million job loss number from last month, and that doesn't even tell the whole story because you had the labor force drop. So the denominator of the unemployment calculation is lower. Um, And so it's, uh, it's actually, it, 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 if you actually had a realistic picture of unemployed, because even the the Bureau of Labor, States, this isn't even just like interpretation. The Bureau that puts out the data mentioned that there is a chunk of, of around 5 million, 6 million people who listed themselves as, as not unemployed, but um, just employed, but not working for other reasons. So these are like people who believe that they're just temporarily unemployed. Uh, over and above the people who are actually unemployed who believe they're temporarily unemployed, you have this other group. So it, it, if you adjust for that, the true unemployment rate is a number that, that compares to like nothing since 1933. Um, so it is, it's not hyperbole to call it a depression for a substantial portion of the American
0: economy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really, really bad out there. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the underemployed, the, the freelance economy, so many people have dropped out of the labor force over the past decade since, um, you know, like Uber and all this stuff, just the way they calculate stats. I mean, yeah, it's really changed over time as you pointed out. Um, by yeah. the way, like, you so, know, just, um, one, one yeah. thing, I mean, I'm going to ask you a bunch of, you know, economy related questions of, Of course, to anyone listening to this, uh, none of this should be construed as financial advice of any sort. It goes without saying that I am just having a conversation with a friend, so never do that. Uh, Never interpret anything as like a stock tip or anything to that effect. But I just I figured I would say that for your benefit.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yep, perfect. (laughs) Um, So uh, to to go back on that and to get to your, you know, what is what is going on? What's the market looking? What's the difference. The <laughs> Unfortunately, like 80 something percent of people, maybe 85% of the people who are listed as unemployed believe their situation to be temporary. Like that they will get rehired as soon as everything opens back up. And I find that very hard to believe. We've discussed this in the past, I, I, like in our conversations that I don't see how 85% of the restaurant industry is going to get rehired. Um, you know, they're going to be brought back on opening with mandated maximum capacities, mandated social distancing. The the whole idea of having a dinner, are you wearing a mask? I guess while you're having dinner. And I, I mean, it, it's just, it's just a bizarre thing. So, so, so the idea that that's going to happen is, pretty far-fetched and you've had a lot of economists I, I don't know if the consensus anymore is for a v-shaped recovery um way they talk about basically just bouncing back the shape of the, the curve i don't know if i need to explain that but basically um how, how quickly the economy ba- bounces back there initially was hoped that it would be a v-shaped recovery and slowly more and more economists have come around to say well maybe it's going to be more flat uh, but we will get back eventually type of thing and I think it's that view that, um, that you've got that, that it's looking past this sort of one quarter dislocation that there's not going to be, uh, second order effects. Cause I, I think if you have a second wave, which is generally pretty widely, uh, anticipated, I, d- I don't know that the effects of that are being properly discounted. Um, now one caveat in all this is that the market has become kind of a, a, a dichotomy between the top 10, you know, your, your Facebook, Amazon, Google, Netflix, Microsoft, um, and, uh, and sort of a few other companies compared to everything else. Um, so where you have, um, we've got, say the Fang stocks, um, they're they're up year to date like the nasdaq i know i think is now up year to date it's down about six percent from the high but a lot of this is concentrated in those top handful of names where you have a lot of other things that are still the energy sector is gutted the hospitality sector is gutted travel sector is gutted um you know there's a number of of, of industries that are down 40 to 60 percent still so it's just it's just
0: yeah, so going the, the back to this, is
1: so high. you know, going yep.
0: back to the sort of original question, I mean, look, you've been through three pretty significant downturns, uh, the 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 0102 post 11 post 911 downturn, the 08 mm. downturn. And now this, um, what what have you like? what did you learn from 0102 slash 08? Uh, That, you know, kind of helps inform your opinion now, like what is applicable from those downturns and what just appears totally out of whack?
1: So the 01 downturn was sort of the aftermath of the tech bust, right? The, The dot coms, we have the hugest bubble of companies that weren't earning any money that um, that were go, being able to go public with these shoddy business models and people would finance it. And then that all burst. Um, but then the second order effect, as that, that went on, we, we had the um, Enron, WorldCom, entire the, the whole energy complex kind of, all of that just kind of came to a head uh, that following year. Um, and that, that Enron and everything like that was going on actually just around the time of 9-11, like it, that didn't, um, if I recall correctly, it was, it was before, right before all that. And I was actually in an energy conference in New York, 9/11, that I had flown out to so you and I were roommates in Seattle. So
0: I remember I that. that. So, I remember that.
1: Um, so, um, but, uh, so, so that, that you had kind of, uh, it, it was an, it was an equity bubble that burst and then some fraud came out and everything like that. But there, there was, looking back, there was actually, you know, people like to define recessions as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. um, But uh, that's not actually true. And in fact, that recession, there wasn't two negative quarters in a row. Um, So it was just the one quarter of negative growth. So, um, but anyway, that, that one was one where a lot of debt had to be, Dealt with. You had the automakers' pension liabilities coming up and everything like that, and 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 it was it was more kind of a, a an inventory cycle. The equity bubble burst. When going fast-forwarding to 08 you had credit build up, and we all know the subprime crisis. Everyone watched The Big Short or read it, um and kind of familiar with, with what led to that. That was a a credit build up and a credit collapse. Now. The problem with that, what what happened there was, as we know, nobody went to jail. It was a it was a credit crisis that was precipitated by the financial industry, and really nobody paid that much of a price. Um, the there were bailouts and there were governments taking, you know, getting some equity, um, and uh, but but for the most part, um, in that one. You had kind of a socialism of losses, right? Capitalism for the poor, <laughs> socialism for the like, you know, or capitalism when it's going well and socialism when we need losses. So, uh,
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just trying to maybe perhaps combining two, two thoughts here that are incoherent and you can push back on it. I mean, okay. So, so the credit crisis doesn't seem to have gotten any better over the past 12 years. So
1: that was my, that was the thing. At least talk back then. I, my biggest gripe back then was that we solved a credit crisis by incentivizing more debt. Right? We've had a decade now of zero to one and a half percent interest rates, and that one and a half was only in the last two years. Um, so, so, largely zero percent interest rates, basically for a decade. Um, insane fiscal spending, uh, deficit spending, and through all of that. Our GDP only grew around two percent a year, maybe three percent in some good years. Um, so, with that amount of spending, it 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 created a system that was has been very fragile. Um, and so, so there are folks these days who talk about the perma bearish people who've been bearish for you know fifteen years who were right about the last one but have been wrong for the last decade, and you know are trying to claim that they were right about the pandemic. I, I don't. I think that's unfair to those folks because nobody was calling that a coronavirus is going to come and cut out the global economy. It was that you're sitting on a a pile of debt that didn't get properly addressed after the last crisis, that that you've had easy interest rates for a decade that's caused... Basically, if, if you're a responsible saver and, and you have a lot of cash, you're earning nothing on your bank account. What do you do? Like If you're earning nothing in your bank account, you kind of have to go do something with it. And you put it in the stock market. And so that's driven up the market over the last decade. And some of it has been very much worthwhile, right? It's, it's allowed things like, you know, Google stock, Amazon stock, everything has done well and deserves it. They make money. Um, Amazon can make money when it wants to, basically just turns a, a, <laughs> a flip switch on a quarter when it wants to make money. But, 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 you know, it's allowed things like Uber to happen and everything like that and get financing and everything because there's so much money available.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so, and-, I, and maybe, maybe I'm um, kind of projecting or not drawing the right conclusions here, but I feel like with every one of these downturns, there has been some sort of cataclysmic event, you know, whatever, 9 11, 08, the Lehman collapse, you know, whatever. But uh, like, it feels like it was an excuse for stuff to go down because if you just think about things logically, I mean, it feels like at least, you know, w- America's been getting in more and more credit card debt for, God. I mean, how, however long. I, I read the stuff on some s- low percentage of Americans have emergency savings for like a $500 expenditure. I don't even know. Like, I feel like I've read yes, so many articles about that.
1: Um, right, something like 53% don't have three months worth of cash. Um, And so, is it that they can tap?
0: Is it really COVID, or is it just like, okay, we just every now and then, uh, like as a society, need some sort of cataclysmic event to relieve pressure for stuff that's already happening? And in this case, it feels like more and more wealth is accumulating to the top people. They're actually being financially responsible and investing in in capital. Um, Whereas, you know, like the American consumer, who is a middle-class earner or, or less has just been getting in further and further debt. And we just needed to relieve that pressure somehow.
1: Well, to, 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 the extent, I mean, you can't really blame a lot of the, the lower part of the scale because wage inflation there has not been commensurate with, you know, the, the sort of cost of living. And, and, and to, to clarify, sort of, by the way,
0: to clarify what I'm trying to say, yeah, wage, wage growth has been, been abysmal, but, but my, my clarifying comment is just like the system is not working and it's going to take 20% unemployment for, you know, for people to realize like at the top that the system is not working. And Oh, by the way, I actually don't think the stock market going up is necessarily a good thing. You know, even though I am, you know, a stockholder and I've benefited from it somewhat and, you know, I am assuming so of you. Um, but like, you know, yeah. that, that's actually not good. It just widens the gap. And that actually, it doesn't make me feel comfortable with how we're sort of operating as a society.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 a, I mean, you could use all kinds of cliches, call it a powder keg, whatever you want to call it. But it is, it's the sort of thing that has led to, say, we don't have to go into politics, but it's led to sort of the, bernie sanders and donald trump types coming up i'm not equating the two i'm not saying they're all the same what i mean is that it's a it's at the bottom end of the income scale of people feeling like they have been left out and it's a very valid feeling um and you look at any kind of measures of inequality over the last 30 years um whether it be the average ceo pay divided by his average worker um, at his company, that that kind of stuff. Um, those those sort of numbers have blown just way out, and you don't have to. You can be a capitalist and 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 criticize the whole system. Like it, it doesn't make you a socialist to say that there's something wrong with that. And I think there's been this reluctance to kind of say that over the last several years that you 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 you've had sort of early signs of that mentality changing a little bit um with um you know, there's this there's this group called the business roundtable of all these ceos jamie Dimon i think is the chairman of it or he's, he's a prominent member of it but all these fortune 500 ceos and they put out um uh, a statement last year discussing basically saying that you know we no longer hold to Milton Friedman idea that shareholders are the number one and only should be the number one and only concern of a big corporation profits don't have to be the number one concern, right? Taking care of all our stakeholders of which a big portion is our employees um, is equally as important. Yeah. And 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 I would, I would never say that,
0: you know, I, I, like, I agree with you. I, I don't think, and that's the, that's the capitalists. And I consider myself a capitalist. I mean, out of all the all the systems out there, I mean, but that's our biggest defense of the system is, well, socialism and communism lead to much much worse outcomes. We know that, like, right? Um, right. They you lead to you know like a Russian state with with Stalin, you know, starving people and you know all sorts of just crazy stuff happening. And uh, in China, you know, they've kind of modified their system, you know, to to adapt with the times, but it leads to famine. Like the, the, the alternatives just lead to much worse outcomes, but that's, and that's been the best friend of the capitalist. And, um, but right. th- there's gotta be some, I don't want to say blended system, but there's just gotta be a way to, to hack the system a bit, to, to make it a little bit better for everybody. I don't know what that is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's heretical to say this in a lot of Republican circles, right? But it's, maybe you do need a minimum wage that's a lot higher in a lot of places. It doesn't seem to have destroyed the Seattle economy and they seem, they put one in. Didn't San Francisco also put one in? Yeah.
0: I think, um, I think we, we have a, uh, well, yeah. So I, I don't know enough about San Francisco law per se, but I mean, I just know okay. like statewide minimum wage is higher in California than is in other states, but still not like, you know, right. it's not great to live off of.
1: Right. Exactly. And, and just, To me, to me, the the most, the the craziest thing um, that really first struck me about this was like when we were in college, I kind of knew a student loan being student loan debt being a general minor problem um, that it was getting really high. It was hard for people to afford college. And then I saw the chart like 10 years after we graduated, we graduated no one, right? So maybe like 10 years later. At some point in that decade, the the level of outstanding student debt did a hockey stick shift upwards. The slope just shifted upward. Like it it, it it took off. And that's something we had talked about is sort of what were starting salaries when we graduated college and what are they today? And college costs three times as much to go to as it did when we were there, right? I, I yeah, think it was it a, something like.
0: I remember this. I mean, as a, you know, if you wanted a job at, which a down the middle job at say like an Arthur Anderson, which at the time was, you know, still in existence and and mm-hmm. hiring, um, that right. was was a low forty k's a year job at that time.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, right. And and, if, and
1: what is it now?
0: Well, so I don't know what it is for you know accounting firm. It, it can't be higher than fifty five to sixty would be my guess. Right.
1: Um.
0: And, and so for, those you know,
1: good jobs. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a white collar like you know high end job.
1: Yeah, and you're telling me that someone who um, is coming into college doesn't know it. None of us even. I, I changed my major. I, I knew I wanted to kind of go into stock market related stuff, but I changed my major multiple times. And I know so many people don't know what they're going to be doing, but they start studying something, declare a major a couple of years later, and. Focus on that for junior and senior year, or whatever. It's. Okay, you're telling me they're going in now facing at a lot of these schools what's going to be a two hundred and twenty to two hundred fifty thousand dollar bill uh, when they graduate for what they're going to be paying off, and and starting with probably salaries in the same forty to fifty thousand dollar range.
0: Well, I mean uh, the only the only pushback I'd have on that there is absolutely no pushback that tuition has gone way way up at particularly at private institutions, but I mean. I don't know what what are those numbers. What are they like for I don't know, like Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. I don't know. Or University of Florida has it has it gone up at the same rate? I I don't know because that's where a vast majority of
1: yeah I don't
0: college degree holders go. I assume state schools, but it has gotten way higher. No no question about it. I know yeah. UCLA has it's, gotten absurdly high.
1: So if UCLA is that, I mean, it's public school, right? So would it be that much different than than? At, you know, University of Florida or anything like that. Um, I, to some extent, if, if the private schools are able to charge more than the public schools by, will be brought along that curve, they might still, you know, be way behind in terms of what they charge. Well, I say behind, like that's a bad thing. But what I mean is just a lower price. Um, but the point being is that people are ending up exiting this, their college degrees with this insane amount of debt right from the start. And, um, but but to, to to bring it all back to the whole thing is just sort of you're facing these multiple avenues of having a lot of debt without the uh, the real ability at the um, for the masses at the beginning of their careers to to be able to face that down and pay that off for a lot of them. So it it's resulted in you have these sort of um, like now a new a generation who doesn't view socialism as a bad word, right? and it's hard to blame them right you, you you see the entire financial crisis happen and then a year later um you know hundreds of millions of bonuses are being paid out to folks on wall street and nobody went to jail over anything um and so now you've come to this time where we're 10 years post financial crisis debt has continued to build up um and, you know, for a couple of years there, a lot of what was driving the stock market was, you know, they pass a tax cut and a corporate tax cut. And those proceeds don't go to hiring another million workers. They go to buying back stock. And so you had a year of basically no earnings growth in 2018, I think. And the market, or of even 19 now, I'm, I'm getting my timelines mixed up a little bit, but one of you had no earnings growth, but the market increased thirty percent just based on multiple expansion. That was from companies buying back their own stock. They were they were the bid. I'm not saying that was the entire move, but I mean that that was sort of it. And so now going forward, you know, I you I can understand where the pushback on on buybacks comes from. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, Uh, but yeah so i'm I'm curious
0: where this i know that you don't you know you don't do predictions we've we've talked about this a lot Mm -hmm. or you you're very self-deprecating when it comes to predictions at least but from a financial markets perspective you know what's your best guess over the next two to three years just some high level guesses that you might have about how how this is all going to play out and you know whatever the long enough time horizon is that, you know, makes sense or short enough, but like, what do you just, what are some predictions you have?
1: Well, I think as we start to open back up, people will be disappointed at how, um, how much fewer jobs are brought back on than were thought previously. Um, and I think you're going to have a lot more of these small businesses just closing up shops. because if you have to open up, and you can only do 50% of what you were doing before, basically. And not that you can only, you can do, you can, you're allowed to do whatever you want, but you cannot, you're not going to have the foot traffic. You're not going to have the, the numbers that you had before in revenue, but you still have the same liabilities. You got to pay your power bill. You got to pay your rent. You got to pay, you know, uh, if you're allowed to hire, if you hire back half of your employees, say, you got to pay them. So your bills come due, but your revenue doesn't come back anywhere close to where it was before. So then what happens there is you have a lot of small businesses who somehow managed to survive this couple month period that aren't going to survive then the next four months, five months. And then as that sort of wave goes under, then do we do another stimulus package? Do we, you know, does the market roll over again? Um, I think, I think it's hard to see the market continuing to just go higher from here. One of the, about the only reason I would believe that the market is going to just continue going higher is that so many of the guys on Reddit's Wall Street Bets forum uh, have bought puts, betting on the market to go down, and that that to me is like just be a contrary indicator. Like, oh, I guess the market's going to go up because these guys are all in on it now. Um, It is a pretty widely held view that the market has to go back down. So I would say just from that sentiment, just just from that, it would seem that 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 could sustain the market going higher for a little bit, but it would still be disconnected because I can't see any way that the real economy is going to be anything close to where it was this January.
0: No, it doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah. Like you said, when you take away large chunks of the economy, like travel, et cetera, et cetera, it's like, where do people spend their money? Like, you, you mean, the people who have money, where do they spend it? The people who don't have jobs, like, they're not going to be spending money. So it just would follow. It just seems that you see a significant contraction in GDP. I have a, I have two sure. questions. We'll, we'll, go ahead. Go ahead on that point. I'm curious.
1: Well, I was just going to say, like, talking about you, you saying the people who don't have jobs, now remember that they have, there's been a... Um, increase in unemployment benefits is $600 a week over and above what you would normally get just to make sure people are whole on, on what they were earning before. But that runs out in like July. Um, I don't know what the political will is at that point to do another program of that magnitude because there are a lot of people who are angry at reports where they see that certain people um, and some percentage of the population, and it's very real, these aren't fake reports, that, that it is more economically beneficial for them to be unemployed and to get that extra $600 a week than it was for them to be employed prior. Um, so, so, so they're making more money being unemployed than they were being employed. Now, that's just the nature of having to put the stimulus package together in a week. Um, and get it out there. Uh, you're going to have stuff like that. That it's just like whatever. Okay, we just have to get this out and, and make people. Cool. But as that rolls off, I think you're going to have a lot of again another another kind of chaotic um, uh, reckoning, I guess if you want to call it that.
0: So I'm uh, I'm hoping you I mean, can explain two concepts, and I know that we're we're kind of hitting the 40 minute mark here, but we're gonna, we're going to keep going for a little bit. Um, sure. Just one one concept that I'm hoping you'll explain. So. When you when you're the U.S. government, you print all of this money, um, and there's nowhere to spend it. Like, wouldn't it? it, Like, isn't this inflation? Like, doesn't this devalue? Like, what? Just explain all the dynamics that happen there, because it it just feels
1: the reason. The reason this isn't near-term inflationary is because this is not. This is. uh, I shouldn't call it, I, I don't know if i refer to it as a stimulus package, but I, I, I shouldn't really call it a stimulus package. It's a rescue package. It's replacing, it's literally just replacing lost income for people. Um, in some cases, making them more than whole. In some cases, making them a battle. In some cases, just kind of covering a little bit of what they didn't have before. So it, it's, it's a replacement package. And it's a, it's a support package, not a stimulus package. And what that means is that the difference between that and say, um, issuing a trillion dollars in debt to go build bridges, build buildings, build you know, reinforce highways, everything like that um, across the country, that kind of stuff has a multiplier effect, right? that that, that, that it it creates jobs, it creates more spending. That's your traditional multiplier effect in macroeconomics. Just replacing lost income by literally just handing out money to folks, that, that is a necessary and humane thing to do. But at the same time, it's, it's still not going to create any kind of increase in spending. I see. So what you have in a situation like this is you're likely going to come out of it with a, I mean, potentially a generational shift in the attitude towards debt and savings. Where you're gonna you're gonna have people who are um, going out less, who are trying to build up that six month nest egg of savings that they can use as a rainy day fund if something like this ever happens again. But didn't that uh, happen? And, and,
0: so, and isn't that bad? Like, so didn't that happen in Japan? Um, and um, I my, my history fails me here, but didn't this literally lead to a crisis in Japan?
1: Japan's situation was uh, actually quite. Uh, yes, to answer the question, yes, they did have huge fiscal stimulus and, um, and monetary stimulus back in the early 90s. The market, their market peaked around late 1989. I mean, there's the old anecdote that the Emperor's Palace of a couple of acres or whatever it's on was worth more than the entire state of California. I think that's urban legend, but, um, it was, it was that level of, of inflated bubble in Japan that then dropped, uh, over the course of you know years, it immediately dropped. And, and apparently I, from what I understand, real estate values in Japan dropped 90% peak to trough, which is to, to, to me insane. Like if you lose 90% of the value of your house, you know, you're, you're, we've never had anything close to that in our subprime crisis our, our housing crisis last record. Um, but yeah, so they, so they were dealing with that level of asset deflation. And that when they were trying to make up for that, it was years and years and years and years of that. And it never got going to, to the point where um, you look at any um, asset allocation of sort of high net worth individuals across the globe. And Japan's citizens have an extraordinarily higher amount of cash than everyone else because they've been used to sort of, zero percent inflation to actual deflation to where cash doesn't lose value over there um and it's you know it's it's, it's a couple things they've had demographic issues over there um where the you've had a lot of older people retiring um the number of younger people that are required to support the older people go up and up and up so they don't get salary increases um because the companies are having to fund you know pensions and things like that It's, it's a pretty complex situation but yes that there are differences there, but when it came to a couple of years ago, um, you had a new BOJ governor who came in and decided, we're just going to print all kinds of money. Like we're just basically going to just destroy the balance sheet. And um, so they started doing that, and you had – the Japanese yen actually depreciated 50% against the dollar over the course of two years. So a couple of years ago, it was um, – 80 yen to the dollar as it gotten to that point. And then within once they started doing that, it went to one twenty um, basically in a year, I think maybe two years, but yeah, so, so they did have that. Um, but they, they've had different, different dynamics with respect to demographics and, and, um, having to support that so that they have not had any kind of hyperinflation.
0: The other, the other um, concept I'm hoping you'll explain just really briefly and then we'll, and then we'll wrap up. I mean, what, what are negative interest rates? Like, what does that even mean? And so how does an economy even get to a place where you have like, first of all, what, what has a negative interest rate and how does it get there?
1: So in Europe, you have negative interest rates in a lot of these countries. Um, you have negative deposit rates to where it literally costs you money to keep at the bank. So if you have a thousand dollars at the bank, every quarter they might charge you you know, or or over the course of the year they might charge you uh what is it two dollars and fifty cents um it's like a negative 25 basis points to deposit it there basically it's it's a situation where banks just don't want to hold cash they don't want the liability of holding cash if they have your deposit they're liable to you for it they don't have anything to do with it They, they can't loan it out typically the way the cycle works for a bank right is they take in a deposit they have to a reserve ratio of 10%, meaning that if you give them $100, they have to keep $10 at the bank, but they can go loan out $90, right? And then when they loan out that $90, um, the people they loan that to go put it in the next bank, and that bank has to keep 10% of that, and that's how it kind of multiplies out and you create the sort of credit cycle. Um, Mm -hmm. In the negative environment, you get to a point where you you can't loan out. The, The banks don't have the ability to... Nobody is taking these loans to spend them. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so they're just trying to keep money off of their balance sheets, basically. Um, and so it, it's a central bank's initiative to get people to use their cash for productive purposes rather than keeping it in the bank. And, and that, that's sort of the kind of the fear premium, I guess, that people will pay to just keep their money safe. And so you do have that and it's, it's, it's actually stretched out to uh, 10 years in, in the 10 year bonds in uh, in many of those markets. So That's scary. It's, it's not out of the, yeah, it's not out of the question that the United States ends up there.
0: Um, so I want to, I want to get your closing thoughts. I mean, this has been really informative. I mean, I, I know you and I have these conversations and now we're just basically recording one with perspectives on financial economy, et cetera, but you know, what, Non financial financial advice. Since we already disclosed, none of this should be taken literally. Um, would you just overall give, you know, anyone, either the government, an individual, whatever? Like, what are just some common sense things people should be thinking about at the moment?
1: Um, I think I, I think being responsible about saving. If you are in the privileged enough position that you can save. Um, and you, and you can set money aside and not have to spend it. Um, I think I would be very focused on that. Um, so that, that would be so, But you're saying from a non-financial perspective. I'm just, so that, uh, that, that, like, I mean, I'm just kind
0: of, yeah, no, that is, that is good. So save more is a big takeaway. Um, any other takeaways like what, you know, um, this is, uh, the, the audience is podcast listeners. So they probably have iPhones and so they might be in a privileged enough position that they can say, who knows, um, this is the problem <laughs> with the, with the podcasting audience. It's like a, it's a highly privileged audience. Um,
1: right, sorry, right sorry
0: there. to, sorry to call my listeners out like that, but, um, <laughs> any, anything else that, um, you know, you would say is just a, is just a thought right now that maybe a non-obvious thought that you would want to share.
1: I don't know. I like. I like just. I think it. I hear people talk about disconnecting and, you know, just putting your phone on the other side of the house for a while and uh, just getting rid of the FOMO. Um, it's easier said than done. I've never been able to accomplish it, and I'm kind of being able to accomplish it now by just because I think we've talked before about how terrible my recall is when um, when reading something on a screen like a Kindle, it, reading books on Kindle as opposed to reading the physical and my recall, say two weeks later, just god-awful about it so I think just um, from from the personal perspective, this might not apply to everybody because most people might be way ahead of me on this um, and that's good for them, but like for me that's that's been a kind of goal during this whole period is to work more on reading physical, uh physical book, physical paper, um and uh and taking physical notes as opposed to taking notes on on laptop. I I gotten into that last year going to conferences um where if you know you and I are both fast typists. So if we are at a conference and taking notes from from the speaker on our laptop, you kind of default to just typing literally everything they say. Whereas if you have to write down um, you tend to be more efficient, and but it forces you mentally to just kind of distill what you're hearing and process it and actually think about it, distill it, and quickly just write it onto paper. Um, so I think just anything physical like that, I think is highly, highly... Up- it has to be positive for people. Right? I don't see how it could be a negative.
0: Well, my advice is to have conversations more like this with your friends at least once a day. I didn't go outside today, but, uh, but this podcast is always an excuse to reconnect with people. So Rohan, thanks for joining us today.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of distanced, um, you know, really in certain times right now in markets and everywhere. And so, uh, hoping that, um, you walked away a little bit more educated about just, Interest rates, what's going on with the market, et cetera. So um, Rohan's a really, really thoughtful guy and a close friend. So um, it was a very good excuse for me just to have a conversation with uh, with someone who, you know, I talk to on a regular basis anyway. But um, situation in Miami, you know, I'm optimistic based on some of his comments. But we're all ultimately, you know, <laughs> looks like in this for a much longer time to go. So. Thank you and look forward to releasing next episode soon.